a political party is an institution or an association that coordinates hopefuls to compete in a particular country's elections. It is common for the members of a party to hold similar ideas about politics. While these parties may, or almost almost always do, promote specific ideological policy pursuits, a political party can be assumed to be simply a bunch of candidates who run for political office under a party brand. In a more general explanation, political parties are the entire machine that supports the election of a group of candidates, including voters and volunteers who identify with a particular political party. The official party organizations that support the election of that party's candidates and legislators in the government who are affiliated with that party. In some countries, the notion of a political party is defined in law and governments may specify requirements for an organization to qualify as a political party legally. Political parties are distinguished from other political groups and clubs, such as political factions or even interest groups, mostly by the fact that parties are focused on electing candidates, whereas interest groups are focused on advancing a policy agenda. This becomes slightly murky in one-party politics, but I'll come to that. The exclusion crisis ran from 1679 until 1681, during the reign of English, Scottish, Welsh, Irish, not yet British, King Charles II. Three exclusion bills sought to exclude the king's brother and heir, James, Duke of York, from the throne of England, Scotland and Ireland because he was Roman Catholic. None of these became law. Two new parties, however, were formed. The Tories were opposed to this exclusion, while the Country Party, who were soon to, be, soon to be called the Whigs, supported it. While the matter of James's exclusion was not decided in Parliament during Charles's reign, it would come to a head only three years after he took the throne, when he was deposed in the Glorious Revolution of 1688. Finally, the Act of Settlement 1701 decided definitively that Catholics were to be excluded from the English, Scottish and Irish thrones, now the British throne. That glorious revolution of 1688 to 1689 was the successful removal of the Catholic monarch James II and his heirs from the throne of England, Scotland, Wales and Ireland. Ireland too, yes, I know they are Catholic, but... It was because he was a Catholic too. He was replaced by his Protestant daughter, Mary II, who was married to William of Orange of the Netherlands. William and Mary reigned until Mary's sister and became queen and united all these kingdoms and resulted in the United Kingdom. Check out my episode on creating the United Kingdom for more on that. The Whig faction originally organized itself around support for Protestant constitutional monarchy as opposed to absolute rule, whereas the Conservative or Tory faction, originally the Loyalist or Cavalier faction in the English Civil War, supported a strong monarchy, and these two groups structured disputes in the politics of the UK throughout the 18th century. Indeed, the Rockingham Whigs have been identified as the first modern political party because they've retained a coherent party label, and motivated principles even while out of power. 
At the end of the century, the U.S. also developed a party system called, by historians, the first party system. The political party system that existed in the United States between roughly 1792 and 1824 was that. It had two national parties competing for control of the presidency, Congress, and the states. The Federalist Party, created largely by Alexander Hamilton, and the rival Jeffersonian Democratic-Republican Party, formed by Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, usually called at the time the Republican Party, which is totally distinct and separate from the 2022 modern Republican Party. All these developments in the UK and US were still wishy-washy groups. It was not until the early 1800s that many countries developed stable modern party systems. The party system that developed in Sweden has been called the world's first party system on the basis that previous party systems were not fully stable or institutionalized. In the US, the political party system as a modern machine started to solidify in the later 1800s. So I guess if you hate political parties in your country and neighborhood, blame the Swedes. By now, in many European countries, including Belgium, Switzerland, Germany, and France, political parties organized around a liberal-conservative divide and around their religious disputes. The spread of the party model of politics was accelerated by the 1848 revolutions around Europe. At this point, I would encourage you all to, after listening to this episode, go look at my episode 45 called Capitalism or Socialism, and go back to episode 9 to see how the left and right wings originated. So that again, episode 45, Capitalism or Socialism, and episode 9, How the Left and Right Wings Originated. Now back to this episode. At the beginning of the 20th century in Europe, the liberal-conservative divide that characterized most party systems was disputed or disrupted by the emergence of socialist parties which attracted the support of organized trade unions. During the wave of decolonization in the mid-20th century, many new sovereign countries outside of Europe and North America developed their own party systems that often emerged from their movements for independence. One could, if you were desperate, cite, for example, a system of political parties rising out of factions in the Indian independence movement that was initially dominated completely by the INC or Indian National Congress Party. However, factional non-Congress parties got stronger in the early to mid-1990s. For me, the main turning point for all of this uh, in terms of voting and political parties was universal suffrage. Women voting and younger, previously disenfranchised men voting resulted in, to me, the modern political party system because political parties were able to expand dramatically and only then did a version develop of political parties as intermediaries between the full public opinion and the government. That sort of brings us to the modern age somewhat. The most insane thing is political parties are nearly ubiquitous, nearly a ubiquitous feature of many modern countries. Even of that country that just hosts one political party, they have a political party. At this point, please be reminded that you don't need to host a democratic system of government to run a political party. So why is that? How could humans survive for hundreds of thousands of years 
And then just because one needed to drop James II, because he was a Catholic, did humanity get burdened with the political party system? Glad you asked, because even political scientists have been raking their brains over this one. They think it's because of three factors. One, social cleavages. Two, individual and group incentives. And number three, parties as heuristics. So number one, social cleavages. One of the core explanations for the existence of political parties is that they arise from pre-existing divisions among people. Society is divided in a certain way, and a party is formed to organize that division into electoral competition. Two, individual and group incentives. The formation of parties provides a compatible incentive for candidates and legislators. For example, the existence of political parties might coordinate candidates across geographic districts so that a candidate in one electoral district has an incentive to assist a similar candidate in a different electoral district. Thus, political parties can be mechanisms for preventing candidates with similar goals from acting to each other's determinant while campaigning or governing. And number three, parties as heuristics, or in this case, shortcuts. Parties may be necessary for many individuals to participate in politics because they provide a massively simplistic heuristic, which allows people to make informed choices with much less mental effort than if voters had to consciously evaluate the merits of every single candidate individually. So how are political parties organized? They typically feature a single party leader, a group of party executives, and a community of party members. Not too hard, really, is it? Parties in democracies usually select their party leadership in ways that are more open and competitive than parties in autocracies, where the selection of a new party leader is likely to be tightly controlled. A leader of the party could be, say, Narendra Modi or Xi Jinping. In democracies, the party leader can be the leader of the government, as in Boris Johnson or Narendra Modi. But if he or she were to be kicked out of government, he or she could remain the party leader while someone else is the prime minister. The leader ceases to be party leader if the party removes him or her, or they are forced to resign from the post. In democracies, the leader needs to be the person who the general public can most associate with so they can win power and then stay in power. For more on democracies, see my episode 28. Go check it out later. In both democratic and non-democratic countries, the party leader is often the foremost member of a larger party leadership. A party executive will commonly include administrative positions like a party secretary and a party chair who may be different people from the party leader. These executive organizations may serve to constrain the party leader, especially if that leader is an autocrat. It is common for political parties to conduct major leadership decisions like selecting a party executive and setting their policy goals during regular party conferences. Citizens in a democracy will often affiliate with a specific political party. Party membership may include things like paying dues, an agreement not to affiliate with multiple parties at the same time, and sometimes a statement of agreement with the party's policies and platform. In many democratic countries, members of political parties are often allowed to participate in elections to choose the party leadership. 
party members could also form the basis of the volunteer activists and donors to support political parties during campaigns. Parties can be organized according to their ideology using an economic left-right political spectrum. However, a simple left-right economic axis does not fully capture the variation in political party ideology. You see, political parties, even in one-party states, are a massive umbrella of points of view, ranging from up and down to left and right. Indeed, left and right can mean extremely different things. Right in India includes some elements of religious affiliation, not so in the British right. But neither of those two rights associate with the American right, who also talk about gun control. Gun control is not an issue in either the UK or India. It doesn't exist. Left and right are therefore different in every country. There is no connection from country to country. Don't fall into the trap that a conservative in one country is the same as a conservative in another country, or a liberal in one country is the same as a liberal in another country, or a socialist is the same as a socialist in two different countries. Does not happen, does not exist, do not compare. Other ways to compare political parties, uh, you could say, range from things like liberal to authoritarian, pro-establishment to anti-establishment, and from tolerant to pluralistic, pluralistic even. It is also common in countries with important social cleavages along ethnic or racial lines to represent the interests of one ethnic group or another. This may involve an ideological or non-ideological attachment to the interest of that group, or may be a commitment based on that ideology like identity politics. But it is not just the party. Wait, it is not just the party? No. But the party political system that they operate in, i.e. the environment, that also makes a difference. It's very simple. You can have four types of systems. A non-party system, a one-party system, a two-party system, or a multi-party system. I'll repeat that. A non-party system, a one-party system, a two-party system, or a multi-party system. In a non-party or non-partisan system, no political parties exist. All political parties are not a major part of that political system. There are very few countries without political parties. Qatar, Oman, Saudi, and the Vatican City are good examples. Often, life in Saudi as a political party is simply banned or is never historically present. Then you have a one-party model. In a one-party system, power is held entirely by one political party. When only one political party exists, it may be the result of a ban on the formation of any competing political parties, which is a common feature actually in authoritarian states. Proponents of a one-party state argue that the existence of separate parties runs counter to national unity. Others contend that one party is the vanguard of the people and therefore its right to rule cannot be legitimately questioned. The Soviet government, for example, argued that multiple parties represented the class struggle and because of this, the Soviet Union legally authorized and recognized just the one single party leading 
the proletariat, namely the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. Within their own countries, dominant parties ruling over one-party states are often referred to simply as the party. For example, in reference to the USSR, the party meant the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. In reference to pre-1991 Republic of Zambia, it referred to the United National Independence Party. One-party states are usually considered to be authoritarian, to the extent that they are occasionally totalitarian, two different things by the way. On the other hand, not all authoritarian or totalitarian states operate upon one-party rule. Some, especially amongst absolute monarchies and military dictatorships, have no need for a ruling party and therefore make all political parties illegal. As of March 2022, when we publish this, China, Cuba, and North Korea are current members of the one-party party. Importantly, it is also possible for countries with free elections to have only one party that holds power. These cases are sometimes called dominant party systems or one-party dominant system of partiocracy. This is a political occurrence in which a single political party continuously dominates election results over running opposition groups or other parties. Any ruling party staying in power for more than one consecutive term may be considered a dominant or hegemonic party. Crazily, between 1950 and 2017, more than 130 countries were included in the list of dominant party systems, i.e. almost every state in the world. For example, South Africa has had a near-continuous rule by the ANC or African National Congress over the decades. Let's now move on to the two-party system. That's right, that's just one more party than the other so-called one-party system. Simply put, a two-party system is a political party system in which two major political parties exist. At any point in time, one of the two parties typically holds a majority in the legislature and is usually referred to as the majority or governing party, while the other is in the minority and thus the opposition party. Third parties rarely win any seats in this legislature. In such arrangements, two-party systems are thought of as resulting from several factors, like winner-takes-all or first-past-the-post-election systems. While chances for third-party candidates winning elections to major national office are remote, it is possible for groups within larger parties or in opposition to one or both to exert influence on the two major parties. A fine example of this will be the USA, Jamaica, or Malta. Finally, we have the multi-party system. Multi-party systems are systems in which more than just two parties have a realistic chance of holding power and influencing policy. A very large number of systems around the world have had periods of multi-party competition. Many of the largest democracies in the world had long periods of multi-party competition, including India, Indonesia, and Brazil. 
multi-party systems end up creating different types of governance than smaller party systems. For example, by often encouraging the formation of coalition governments and governments that can ultimately collapse if even a small party withdraws support. To me, a one-party system is pure rubbish. I accept that in many cases, such as China, it works great when you put your mind to it, and it can even take millions of people out of abject poverty. That's really good stuff. However, more than one party gives you options. Two parties, to me, to me, remains limiting and ripe for one-upmanship corruption. It's still like the one-party state, but just with another party. It's known as a duopoly. So I'd prefer to have many parties, multiple parties, multiple, multiple, multiple parties. Parties are good. But one thing you should all be aware of is party funding, known in popular culture as follow the money. In short, it is to raise money for campaigns and routine activities. The funding of political parties is an aspect of campaign finance. One of the largest sources of funding comes from party members and individual supporters through things like membership fees, subscriptions, and small donations. This type of funding is sometimes referred to as grassroots funding or support. Solicitation of larger donations from wealthy individuals often is referred to plutocratic funding. There's also a common method of securing funds because, of course, these people are very rich. Parties can also be funded by other organizations that share their political views, such as unions, political action committees, or organizations that seek to benefit from the party's policies. Importantly, political funding can occur via dodgy measures too, such as influence, peddling, graft, extortion, kickbacks, and even embezzlement, leading to the word often ascribed to politicians and political parties, that word being corruption. There are lots of political parties out there, the Conservatives in the UK and elsewhere, or Labour also there and elsewhere, the Liberals everywhere, the Christian Democrats, the Lukid, the Justice and Development Party, Cambodian People's Party, Democratic Party of Korea, Brazilian Social Democracy, the Ba'ath Party, list is quite endless. But I want to spend the next few minutes talking to you about the top five. Yes, the five most powerful and important political parties in their own countries. But first, I'm going to tell you about something else. I'm going to tell you about the least influential political party on the planet, on an island off the coast of Europe, that party being the monster-raving loony party. Yes, ladies, gents, the monster-raving loony party in Britain. Established in the UK in 1983 by the now late musician David Such, also known as Screaming Lord Such, the third Earl of Harrow, or simply Lord Such. It is notable for its deliberately bizarre policies and it effectively exists to purely satirise British politics and to offer itself up as an alternative for protest voters, especially in constituencies where the party holding a safe seat is unlikely to lose it. In 1987, the Looney Party won its first seat on Ashburton Town Council in Devon as Alan Howling Lord Hope 
was elected unopposed. He subsequently became deputy mayor and later mayor of Ashburton in 1998. Membership is at 1,354, made up of 173 paying members, 1,181 lifetime but non-paying members. It currently costs £12 per year for membership, which includes a party rosette, a certificate of insanity, a loony badge, a personal party ID card, and a letter from the party's leader. A £14.50 membership is available for those overseas. The monster raving loonies are distinguished by having deliberately bizarre party manifestos, which contain things that seem to be impossible or too absurd to implement, usually to highlight what they see as real-life oddities. Despite its satirical nature, some of the things that have featured in loony manifestos have become law, such as passport, passports for pets, abolition of dog licenses, and all-day pub openings. Yes, all-day pub openings is thanks to the Monster Ray Loony Party. The loonies generally field as many candidates as possible in United Kingdom general elections, some, but by no means all, standing under ridiculous names they have adopted via deed poll. Such himself stood against all three main party leaders, John Major, Neil Kinnock and Paddy Ashdown, in the 1992 general election. The now late television astronomer, Sir Patrick Moore, was the finance minister of the party for a short time. He once said that the Monster Raving Goody Party had an advantage over all the other parties in that they knew they were loonies. Now for the top five most powerful players in the business of party politics on the planet. In at number five, the Congress Party. This is an Indian political party, although currently in opposition in 2022, it had ruled nearly uncontested between 1947 and 1977. It's also been in and out of government since 1977, including, it has been part of, by the way, the UPA coalition of the 2004 to 2014 government under the premiership of Manmohan Singh. As of 2019, it had 18 million members. That is quite big. In at number four, the U.S. Republican Party one of two pretty much, one of two, the only parties, West duopoly system, the Republicans has, as of 2021, 36 million members. They have been in and out of office for decades. At number three is another Indian party. This is the BJP or Bharatiya Janta Party. It is currently, as of 2022 March, in office as the government as it has been since 2014. As of 2019, they have a monster, a monster, monster, 180 million members, making it simply the largest party by membership on the planet, by far. They, via the power of patriotism, or an association of patriotism and Hinduism with politics, command sympathetic slants from right-ish media outlets, but get hammered by leftist and secularist media. That's why they don't rank higher than number three, the BJP, big membership, but 
just a little short of that much power. Which brings me to number two. And that is back in the U.S. again and the Democratic Party. As of going to publish in March 2022, the Democrats control the U.S. federal government machinery, including the security state. What makes them more powerful than the Republicans is what they control outside government, often indirectly via supporters in powerful positions, the corporate media, the big tech companies, including the big social media platforms, the big financial houses, academic institutions, you name it, they influence it. Other than Fox News and a few independent podcasters, it's all Democratic run. And they have 48 million members as of 2021. Can you guess number one? Drumroll, please. Well, some of you probably guessed it, and that would be the Communist Party of China. Yes, a one-party state. They are, like the U.S. Democratic Party, extremely powerful in how they influence industry and how they exercise control through industry and the media. Similar somewhat to the BJP, they also inspire patriotism, a combination that is lethal. However, they never risk losing an election, thus making them the single most powerful political party on the planet bar none. And in case you are wondering, they have 95 million members as of 2021, which is quite small for a country of 1 billion, and it is about half the size in membership of India's BJP. So there you have it, the top most powerful political parties on the planet. But of course, if you want a party that parties, then join the Monster Rally Party, and their motto is, vote for insanity. At least they're honest. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Please make sure to leave a comment on Apple Podcasts and leave ratings on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen and get your podcasts. Thank you so very much. <laughs>